Hello and welcome to another installment of Bar Talk Podcast, bringing you everything you need to know about law via discussions, interviews, and news updates. to the Omaha Bar Association podcast. I am your host, Dave Summers, Executive Director of the Omaha Bar Association. And I have here today three of our OBA members. First, we have Jeremy Elliott of Hopman O'Brien, Wolf, and Lathrop. Hello, Jeremy. Thanks for having me, Dave. Adam Tabor of Tabor Law. Hello, Adam. How's it going? And we have Joe Bradley of Bradley Law. Also a solo practitioner. Always a pleasure, Mr. Summers. All right. Well, the introductions have been done. We are going to dig into the topics at hand. Today we're going to be talking a bit about chatbots and if they're taking over the legal industry. We'll also be talking about Attorney General Jeff Sessions' uh, attempt to criminalize what is right now legal weed. And then we are going to talk about the Game of Thrones hack where the hackers used Bitcoin as their ransom monetary requests. Again, Game of Thrones will be talked about in this podcast. Please stick around for the Game of Thrones references. <laughs> and then finally, we'll be discussing pens versus pencils. Who's got what side of that lovely discussion? All right, so first, this chatbot conversation came to our attention that there has been in the UK a an 18-year-old programmer, now turned an old 19 years old, who created a chatbot that has helped 375,000 people appeal parking tickets for a total of $9.5 million saved just over the last year. These chatbots are having conversations with people that aren't legally educated they ask them a series of questions about their tickets, and then the chatbot fills in the appeal form for the parking tickets, essentially helping them perform a legal activity. Now, this 18-year-old, now turned 19-year-old programmer has looked at expanding the chatbots. He now has a thousand chatbots cranking out work for him he is using technology from IBM's Watson artificial intelligence program to dive into divorce law and bankruptcy. That's something that Jeremy here at the table has some practice area expertise in as well. And basically using technology to do the work that attorneys used to do. So my question with the eclipse that came earlier this week is, are we getting eclipsed by technology? Jeremy, what, what do you see here? Well, Dave, I think it is important to point out that uh, the young gentleman you referred to has described um, the chatbot as the world's first robot lawyer. Um, I think there is, you know, the potential risk in the legal industry that, you know, attorneys are generally behind the, the mark when it comes to technology. Um, it's very interesting, um, you know, to read these stories and see how they're trying to get into all these legal areas that have generally had a fairly high moat and have been so complicated that 
you need an attorney to walk you through the process. No, I mean, for me, it's the, the, uh, the death of the legal profession has been uh, predicted now, I think, for the last, what is it today, uh, 2,000 years. And I think, uh, you know, this, is, this reminds me 10 years ago when everybody was freaking out over LegalZoom. Like, LegalZoom, everyone's just going to go on LegalZoom and we're not going to be needed. The beauty of our profession is, constitutionally, they need us. They, they need a body there. So Dave, let me also, so I right now um, do exclusively personal injury law, and a couple months ago I had a genius idea at the time I thought it was that, you know, is there a computer software program that can help insurance companies resolve claims directly with clients? And some of the insurance companies have similar things where they upload all their documents, they communicate, but at the end of the day, we get phone calls all the time from people that try and handle the claim themselves and it doesn't actually work out. So, you know, by using these chat bots, you know, maybe for a parking ticket it's okay, but when it comes to something that needs an actual negotiation and, you know, it doesn't, I don't know how a robot advocates for you. Let's leave it at that. It's as good as the program that's been written for it, right? And that's a set of rules that can't be broken uh, I think maybe part of the human nature to the whole process is that we break rules all the time for the betterment of uh, whatever we're trying to do they, they talk about artificial intelligence in driving cars right and one of the things there's areas of the country California stop you know in, in California you don't stop at a stop sign if there's nobody else around you slow down you, you, you roll through it slowly, but you don't stop. And everybody understands that that's what you do in California. If you have if you have AI cars stopping at stop signs when no one else is around, they're going to get rear-ended by people that know that that's not the standard there. In other places, people are turning left and it's really backed up. They'll actually go against traffic, but it's allowed. I, I think that was maybe in South Carolina or something. They're telling about these these things where when you know the principles of law and you know how to practice law, and if you try to negotiate the same way every single time, I feel like at the other side, in personal injury, you know, use it as an example, they know that this is what you're going to ask for, this is the, the mark, and they just they push it down. They say, no, we're not gonna do it. I mean, I think it's, it's one of those things where, I, to me, that technology sounds like it'd be a better replacement for like a paralegal. Like, like it, it's doing kind of the, the work that we as attorneys have to do, we don't like to do it, it's not the best use of our time. So I mean, if it can be used to enhance as opposed to replace what we do, I think that would be helpful. And I think in general, that has happened a lot, even with the law practice software that we have, which has cut out office managers, legal assistants. Uh, I don't need to hire a, a legal secretary for dictation. I can use Dragon Dictate or my phone and then that whole job that was paying, I'm generous, $12 an hour um, is gone, is gone. And so the industry itself is changing in that respect that attorneys support staff is their phone, is their computer. And it's, it's not necessarily means that, doesn't mean that we're le leaving the industry, but there's other people. So we're talking about chatbots. Are they eclipsing the legal industry? This whole eclipse thing, we gotta talk about that for a second. Monday, we had 
eclipse of the sun binds the moon in Omaha, Nebraska, um, Western Nebraska at 100% total uh, total eclipse of the of the sun. Uh, where was everybody? How was their time? What did you stare at the sun? And was it everything they thought it was going to be? I thought it was great. I, I that's what I thought. I I watched. I went home and Julie and I watched it on the uh, with our glasses. It was not nearly as exciting as I thought it was going to be, but. <laughs> I I could not find glasses for the life of me. It's because you didn't have the head. You're right. I <laughs> I was out of town, came back Sunday, and we were calling High V. They had 20,000. Apparently, there was a line that said not for me. So I went online, found a New York Times article on how to make your own Eclipse viewer, and it was an epic failure. I saw nothing. <laughs> I saw this little dot, and the, it never disappeared. I saw a little circle of light in my box, and that's all. No, we yeah, at uh, Bradley Law, we, we all went outside into the parking lot. We had an extra pair of glasses for the roofers, and it, it, it was for me, it was just more fun kind of watching their reactions and, and the, the colorful language they were using to describe, like, you got to see this! Take his glasses! <laughs> I'm like, these guys are amazing. I want to be best friends with them. I uh, know, it was, it was pretty crazy. And, and did it live up to the expectations, not just for viewing, but in general, with 1% of light, did you think it was going to be that dark? Did you think I thought it was going to be darker? Yeah, yeah, it was much more light yeah. than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. It was eerie, right? But it looked like a very cloudy storm coming through, yeah. almost right. And I I know that they had clouds. I think out in Beatrice where everybody was at, and so hopefully it cleared up for that moment so they could say, "This is light. This is dark. This is light." Today I watched somebody did like a panoramic video of the whole thing out of car hinge, and that was kind of fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Just like seeing people freak out out there was pretty cool. Well, uh, I don't know if there's another one in our lifetime. Uh, uh, actually, seven years, I believe. Twenty twenty-four. Is that what they say? Yeah. I mean, there's a there's a whole bunch of them. It's just whether it comes right through Omaha or not. Look, I'm pretty eclipse lazy, so it needs to really kind of matter. Yeah, I, I assume that the next one. I mean, it's like all good sequels. It's coming the right next. Like, <laughs> money off me. It's gonna be here next year. So. You mentioned we were at 99.9%. So did anyone here actually travel to go see the 0.01%? I was about to, but I had a client come no, out. I had, a, I had a bunch of friends go down to Beatrice with, you know, Bill Nye, the science guy, and I was, they had a good time down there. But, I mean, had I not, for some reason, I just, when they were telling me 99%, I'm like, it's going to be pretty dark. It was like, it was just like a cloudy day in yeah. terms of the darkness. So next time, I'm driving. And one story that I heard was the Beatrice Chamber of Commerce director was answering the phone and people were asking crazy questions about the eclipse. Somebody called in about a week ago, very angry, and said, why did you schedule this for Monday? (laughs) (laughs) Response was, I don't control the universe. I just control my little corner of the universe here. Sorry, buddy. Stay in school, kids. (laughs) Um, Okay, so one subject down. All right, so next, next subject here. Recently, Attorney General Jeff Sessions has said that he is going to increase his enforcement of uh, drug laws um, relating to marijuana. He says specifically he really wants to go after the drug traffickers. In case you've been living under a rock, there are a number of states that allow legal possession, distribution of marijuana 
which those large dispensaries probably would be considered drug traffickers. This really raises the question, what's going on here? How can, how can legal weed be illegal weed at the same time? We have Joe, <coughs> Joe Bananas Bradley here today. Our, our in-house weed expert. <laughs> a criminal defense attorney. Don't play this for my mom, Dave. <laughs> who uh, maybe can, can talk to us a little bit about what's going on here. Well, no, I mean, it's... Uh, so Sessions has said he, he wants to crack down more. Specifically, he wants to use uh, asset forfeiture to, again, crack down those drug traffickers. But I think that gets into kind of a murky gray area because one of the issues that... Uh, Again, especially, I know mostly about Colorado. One of the, the issues Colorado's dealt with is they have to, these dispensaries, marijuana dispensaries, have to do primarily a cash business because the, the, the banking restrictions on them have been particularly harsh. In fact, I think they can only use banks that are only in Colorado, that don't have any outside Colorado business, uh, lest they, you know, get in trouble for trafficking money from drugs. And, and Dave and I have talked about this before. Yes, and on the putting their money into banks and then being, you know, Weed Incorporated puts a million dollars into a Colorado-only bank. Well, if Jeff Sessions and company come to believe that he is a drug trafficker that's doing illegal trafficking, all he has to do is be suspected of a crime. The, the Weed Inc., if you're suspected of a crime, the government, mostly the DEA, can come in and seize your money without ever having to charge you with a crime. Uh, since 2008, sorry, 2007, the DA has seized, seized $3.2 billion in civil forfeiture, uh, civil asset forfeitures. Um, they haven't charged anybody with a crime and they've, they've seized $3.2 billion. <coughs> now the, the person can contest that back, right? If, if, if I own Weed Inc. And, and my million dollars is taken out of the bank by the feds, I can contest that, but the burden is on me to show that I wasn't doing um, anything untoward with that. It's, it's a higher standard for me, the person who was just sitting there, than it is for the government. The government essentially is, is standing in what we consider to be the criminal uh, defendant's position of um, getting the benefit of the doubt, um, the burden being on the, on the state, but here it's reversed, which seems to be completely... Now, hold on one second. I, I I'm, know that there are problems with this civil forfeiture, but, I mean, you're making it sound like it's a t completely innocent person is getting their money taken away, which <clears throat> I think in probably most of the cases is not true. That person probably has some link to the criminal activity. Adam, are you telling me you've never driven on Interstate 80 from Colorado to Nebraska <laughs> with a suitcase full of cash? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, but I mean, I think it's, but we're getting away from, to me, the crux of our justice system has not been, did you commit a crime? It's, can the government prove you committed a crime? Because again, if, if I only got to deal with innocent people, my days would be very short because those would be very easy days. I deal with people that are having problems. And it's, you know, the, the, the system is set up, I mean, it's, it's a push and a pull. The system is very set up prosecutor friendly because we want to keep the system moving, but there are protections put in place. And to kind of have, 
this asset forfeiture has always struck me as you know guilty until proven innocent. Which, again, it's I think you're right. I think 99 times out of 100, it's like you've got a suitcase full of cash. It's a bad deal. <laughs> but you know, I'm kind of one of those better 100 guilty guys go free than one innocent person spend one day in jail. And I think I've I've heard it said that uh, Clarence Thomas, Justice Clarence Thomas, has an issue with this a, a Fifth Amendment issue. Uh, he sort of talked about, well, not on, on the bench, he hasn't talked about it. Because he, <laughs> he doesn't actually say anything at the oral arguments, but um, in his writing, he's he's uh, mentioned this to be one of those issues where it's a unlawful, unlawful seizure uh, because they really haven't uh, met their burden. And, and, and going a little bit further on this, and, and this is when I have a little bit of information, probably not enough to speak knowledgeably on it, but uh, but this whole thing about enforcing the federal laws versus state laws, federalism situation, was addressed during the Obama administration with the Cole Memo from 2013, um, in which it said that the states that states would be in charge of enforcing their drug laws, and that and that the feds would be there to help the states. Um, there would be a robust reporting and, and back and forth and help given by the federal government to the states for for that purpose, essentially pushing that on onto the states for, for their their needs and wants. My understanding is that that memo was seen as as a great idea at the time, that that would be a wonderful standard, but that it ha actually hasn't been uh, followed through with. They just haven't been talking to the states at all. There hasn't been any back and forth with the states. The feds essentially just walked away. Now, Dave, do we know, I mean, is this more the states or the feds dropping the ball on that? I would say it's feds. I would say it's Obama and company really decriminalizing or taking the federal government out of the drug enforcement in states where it can, it can be legal and to not even bring it up as an issue. I, 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 I think the states are trying to do their best efforts, but I I, I think that this is a, a federal government. No, I mean, it'll be interesting to see, because, I mean, as, as more and more states, you know, legalize marijuana, you know, I, I suspect we'll, we'll reach that point where there's like the tipping point, where, you know, kind of, you know, I, I don't want to compare it to, to gay marriage, but it, you know, kind of like that, where it's like, it seemed like there's a tipping, 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 and then everywhere. And it's, I think there's just, and again, I hate to say it's a dollars and cents thing, but there's just so much money for states to make there that I find it hard to believe that it's not going to go that way someday. And uh, one last thing, we, you know, we talked about Jeff Sessions pushing this. Um, he's made it clear, though, that he says, quote, and I quote here, he said this last year, good people don't smoke marijuana. So there, there is from Jeff Sessions, a uh, value statement made on people smoking marijuana is bad, as not good people. Well, thank so. goodness we're not catching any good people in this net. <laughs> right. Right. right, exactly. <laughs> All right, um, moving on to our third subject of the day. Recently, HBO got hacked, and a bunch of their shows, including my favorite, Ballers, and most people's favorite, Game of Thrones, Got they got an early edition of the latest episode. They also found a script um, for an upcoming episode, and they were, they held it for ransom. 
Um, these hackers claim that they make somewhere between 12 and 17 million dollars a year in hacking and acquiring intellectual property from people selling it or holding it for ransom. And so they said they want six months of their salary, which I guess is 6.5 million dollars if that's what they mean. And they want it in Bitcoin. So first things first, who watches Game of Thrones at the Seattle? I'm two episodes in. Season four. Season up, four too. up to date, gang. Wow. Come Joe, on. Wow. Joe Bradley is here to play. Um, you guys with your lives <laughs> out there doing things. No way. So suffice it to say that we cannot have a conversation about Game of Thrones and really live to tell it going forward because I feel like everybody's going to just mercilessly roast us if we try to do that. So yeah. Joe can talk about it if you'd like to. Guys, this is going to be spoiler heavy. No, <laughs> we, won't, we won't get into that. All right. So we're, we're a bunch of lawyers here. We're looking at this um, hack situation. Uh, let's talk a bit about the the legal ramifications if, if these said hackers get caught. What's, um, Jeremy, what's the, what are they looking at for crimes committed and possible jail sentences? Dave, the most obvious one, as a, a lot of these articles mention, is the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act, which is a federal law that contains both criminal and civil penalties. Um, this statute is one of those federal statutes that's very broadly written, and I believe it was enacted in 1984. They amended it and added it also apply to private networks and there's That's why the word Atari's in that <laughs> computers were the same in 1984 as there there's a thousand references to a floppy disk <laughs> Sega <laughs> uh, I won't go into all the details of the statute but interestingly enough I did come across recently in the news um, something involving LinkedIn and Microsoft who owns LinkedIn so the statute basically prohibits someone from exceeding authorized access and there's all these circuit splits as to what to that what that means and some courts have even gone so far to say if you violate the terms of use of a website which we all read and you're subject to <laughs> sure you are basically exceeding the authorized access and so what happened in this case, a, what recently happened was a startup company called HiQ um, was scraping LinkedIn's public profiles for information about whether or not they thought an employee was going to leave their job. So this analytics company obviously somehow thought they had some computer algorithm to look at your profile and comments and determine whether or not you were going to leave. So they were scraping LinkedIn's website. Um, Microsoft, the owner of LinkedIn, didn't like that and sued them, alleging violations of this Computer Fraud and Abuse Act statute. Um, and a judge recently in San Francisco um, granted an injunction permitting scraping of LinkedIn's website and basically found that you know such an interpretation would almost render the internet meaningless. So you're telling me I don't have to read those terms and conditions that I've been pouring over the 32 pages of on Apple every three months as they send those to me? I, you know, I personally don't, but... Um, Dave takes his iTunes very seriously. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
Am I am I open for jail time for using my mom's Netflix account? And that was one of the <laughs> issues where there was some authority that, taken to the extreme, this statute can criminalize basically private conduct. Um, what about giving? A lot of times in discovery, you'll get requests for passwords to social media websites. What about giving the password in response to a discovery request? I'm going to start objecting that. Can't do it under the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act. Unless you don't respect the 1980s Congress. <laughs> I, I think I think you just got your practice tip for this podcast right there. Um, Objection. 1984 Computer Fraud and Abuse Act. I can't go to jail for this. <laughs> well, they, um, so the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act is interesting because I just watched a documentary on Netflix becoming Bitcoin or something to that effect. And they're talking about one of the original Bitcoin Foundation um, chief operators. He was going to go to jail for 20 years for the class one felony for his selling of Bitcoins to a party who then sold them to drug users who used them to buy drugs online. Sure, that, that's a real straight arrow. It, it, it does. It really makes sense that this 24-year-old knew. Oh, well, he did know that he was selling them to a person who was selling them to drug users, but um, kind of sounds like he owned an ATM and, and got charged with um, with a crime because of it. It just shows how, how much this doesn't make sense in terms of in terms of application of a really old statute that probably is So why would, H, why would these hackers demand payment in Bitcoin and not U.S. dollars or some other type of... It's untraceable, isn't it? It is. It is. Um, so, Bitcoin 101. Bitcoin started in 2009, right in the shadow of the Lehman Brothers uh, financial crisis bankruptcy. The idea came from cypherpunks out of the 1990s who had this idea and kind of ran with it, but then it, it fizzled out there for a while. Um, they wanted a currency that wasn't attached to any central banking system. Uh, they wanted it to be a completely open process. So the, the main part of this is that if you buy a Bitcoin or if you're, if you're trading, say, a car for Bitcoins or something like that, it's an open ledger. So everyone can see these transactions. It's open in that sense. It's also very encrypted, so you can't see who's doing it because I can be ABC123. So you can see what the transaction that. is, but not who the parties necessarily are? Y yeah, you, you can definitely see how many Bitcoins are out there. You can see how often they're traded. You can, you can see all that action. So there's nobody out there that's sort of hiding these transactions, and, and so you can't see it. So um, if these, let's go back to the, the Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones, if they had been paid, the ransom of six and a half million dollars in bitcoins. They would have been an open ledger, so it would have been six and a half million dollars from HBO in its encrypted name to hackers in their encrypted name. Mr. Smith is, I think, their handle that they're going on. And so everyone could have seen that, that they could have seen what where that transaction was. And then they could see when that encrypted handle then passed out to somebody else. They can't see it when it goes out, when it's sold out, but they could see it if it was used to buy other things. Um, it's it's sort of out in the open, but it's also very private. Um, so it's it's this weird 
mix those two. At the end of the day, Bitcoin is still really strange on so many levels to me personally, but as I understand it, there are 21 million Bitcoins and in the year 2140 about, they will run out of Bitcoins and that will be when it's a closed system where it just keeps on increasing in value. Um, at this point, I believe they're still producing 12.5 Bitcoins every 10 minutes or something like that. And they continue to grow in value where it was 32 cents in 2011 for each Bitcoin. It was $30 in 2013. It's $200 in 2014. Um, and this year it's $4,233. I think today it was one Bitcoin was $4,223 in value. Um, so that first Bitcoin that bought you a pizza, goodbye. I a lot more pizzas in today's age. I, I mean, I'm always of a couple different minds because my first response to this is always like, man, like it seems so crazy. Like, not what gives it value? Like, it doesn't make any sense. But then I'm like, well, our dollars only have value because we agree they have value. Yeah. It's like, I mean, at a certain point, it's you can go all the way down and kind of see nonsense. And with our, you know, Venmoing of things to one another, right? Um, I, I never see the cash. I, I only see um, what's in my, you know, on my phone, which is what this is kind of all about, too. So, Dave, uh, to loop back into the eclipse, I recently listened to an interview with a gentleman by the name of Turt Demister. And he is a cryptocurrency expert. (laughs) (laughs) The Bitcoin is built on something called blockchain. And blockchain is apparently the You're gonna explain blockchain? In sixty characters. (laughs) (laughs) Blockchain is the underlying code. And this person was talking about how there's going to be all these practical applications for blockchain because it's op- open source and eventually there's going to be what they call smart contracts where because it's held in multiple locations you can't go undo it um, there could be a potential implication for legal contracts and automating transactions they talked about how you know you could hold money in escrow and have very strict instructions and basically the blockchain is going to follow what you say and release funds if variables are met. No more trust officers. I think if we combine that with chatbot, we're really cooking with dynamite. Cooking with dynamite. That's an interesting application. I've heard the blockchain phenomenon is going to sort of take over in, in many respects because it's so secure, yet open source and can be used by all these different applications. I send all my e- email secured by blockchain, by the way. Yeah. I, well, and, and that's, a, that's a subject for another day, which is um, how we are very negligent in our email communications as attorneys if we're not doing secure emails with everybody. I mean, that's a serious note, but um, you send a one gigabyte file every time that you're sending an email to a client with your blockchain, is that, you know. <laughs> um. But wasn't there recently, and this was just off of MSNBC, but wasn't there recently an issue where there was, was there a competing 
application to to Bitcoin. Ethereum. Yeah. There's all these other currencies. And I mean, that caused a dip in Bitcoin's value just because the two people couldn't agree on, I guess, how it should be coded going forward. There's bound to be a Pepsi to Bitcoin's code. Yeah. (laughs) And that's probably it more than anything else is if you get more competing currencies out there, that that's that's the way to kill it, right? I mean, that's that's the way is to drop its value. Is you can just go and get the other guy across the street for you well, know, think, you can start trading at different currencies. Maybe I think whichever one, and this is what I always the, the winner is whoever can make it easiest for the consumer, right? I think the winner is the one that can put my face on the coin. Ooh. So that's what I'm going to go to. So they can personalize it so that it's it's Dave Dollars, not not Bitcoin. I'm there. I, I think that that's really what we're looking at. So you think we can get it on the ground floor here? <laughs> yeah, right. I'm buying gold. I'm reverting back. <laughs> Just gonna, I'm gonna be caught and I'm gonna get seized by the police because I have like ten ounces of gold. The one final thing that I want to talk about with Bitcoin, everyone's get, given it this rap that it's for illegal activities, right? You know, um, because it is. Yeah, yeah. I like, mean, 2013. Um, you know, it came up that Silk Road was using Bitcoin, and Silk Road has been the dark, deep web for, like, an eBay for drugs, right? For people, people for yeah, for people and drugs for for any for arms for everything that you couldn't sell <coughs> an above board marketplace, and so it got this rap that oh, Bitcoin is is all about. You know the, the murderers, the drug dealers, the sex traffickers out there. But Microsoft is dealing in Bitcoin. You can buy your next Microsoft Surface that hopefully works better than mine um, with Bitcoin. You can buy stuff on Overstock.com with Bitcoin. It's it's getting into the realm of it's pretty legit. Um, the Winklevoss twins have invested heavily in, in Bitcoin, which. We know that they started Facebook. Well, yeah, they, they make nothing but good decisions. <laughs> <laughs> so so I, I think that maybe it's been getting a, a bad rap, and I think that as it gets more um, legitimized, it'll, it'll do better. There's this whole, they don't want to be regulated, but financial regulation kind of has to be a part of it for a lot of the big um, players to get involved. So uh, it'll continue to be one of those securities evolving situations, I think. To, to me, it's, I, and I will paraphrase one of my favorite lines from Jurassic Park, Bitcoin shows that capitalism finds a way. <laughs> people want to buy things, people want to obtain things, they're going to. And it's, if it's Bitcoin, whatever it is, capitalism finds a way. And we will end that discussion on that lovely <laughs> quote. And last but not, certainly not least, comes a story, and this is from a few years ago, 2011. A gentleman by the name of Mr. Monson was brought up on felony charges of methamphetamine. I think it was distributing, not quite sure, but he was he was not too happy about being in shackles and um, sitting at a at a table next to his court appointed attorney. So as the jury was being selected, he selected a pencil from the table and stabbed his court appointed attorney in the neck. So they stop court. They go. 
the, the attorney doesn't want to be on the case anymore. Imagine that. <laughs> the judge appoints another uh, public defender. That public defender gets stabbed in the neck by a pencil that the inmate now had uh, hidden his pants, apparently. And so they weren't even, they weren't even known as jury selection. And they already had these two, two attorneys out. They, they, um, they put the guy in shackles. He's totally restrained. He can't do anything. They assign a private attorney to come in and, uh, and represent the guy. And the gentleman comes in. He says, Your Honor, we have to take the restraints away. My client would, will not get a fair trial if he's restrained. The, the jury will not, will, will not believe that he is not a, a guilty man if he's in those restraints. So just says, okay, it's your life. And he takes the shackles off. And as the attorney is making his opening statements, the defendant grabs the lawyer's pen and stabs him in the head. So now the, uh, it's 2011, so this is a, a old story, but the, um, the defendant is no longer, had, is no longer represented by counsel and had to proceed the rest of the way. Well, at least that third one, that's on that attorney. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I, you know, why did he bring a writing instrument with him right. to to this situation? You, the, you're going off the cuff the whole way. You're not going... At that point, maybe it's a crayon situation. <laughs> okay, so maybe maybe this is a pen versus pencil. I think crayon finger paint's probably yeah. my preferred uh, <laughs> method. Or just to, if you have something to write with, just don't take a break. Just tell me about it. We'll just use our words. <laughs> so, so here comes the debate, uh, and this is one that's that's near and dear to me because uh, writing utensils are a big part of what we do. Um, so, pens versus pencils. Uh, I, I want to hear, you know, who's got what side of this debate. I'm, I, I'm ready to talk only after all of you have put yourself out there as to what side you take on this. And what? But what's the application? I mean. Well, are we talking about a fight? Talking about writing, we're talking about Ooh, fight. stabbing <laughs> your stabbing your um, your attorney with um, probably talking about utility in every way. Yeah. If I was going to stab somebody, you'd probably with a pencil. Okay. I think so, because then you get the chance of giving them lead poison. Too, so <laughs> there's a bonus. Does anybody here use pencils? Because I don't see them very much. I keep a paper calendar and I use the pencil on that. See, I don't. I, I just use the pens. It would also, harder to transport a bunch of sharpened pencils with you everywhere. I mean, I feel like mechanical. I'm Mechanical. Mechanical pencils. Oh, but I mean, at that point, what are we doing? <laughs> <laughs> Do they still have the sharpener in, in the courtroom these days? <laughs> that you can just in the middle? Or is it the electronic one where it's really it's, loud? Your Honor, if I'm going to take a moment. <laughs> <laughs> you sharpen all four of your pencils? <laughs> you didn't want to buzz in counsel and say something important. You're just like, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I've used pens since maybe fifth grade, and I don't write well with them. I think I have better handwriting with pencils than pens, but I don't know. It's where my taste for pens change, like, day to day. Some days I want, like, a felt tip. Some days I want a nice gel pen. Are you going to go get so, a pen, Jimmy? have you ever received correspondence or a legal pleading from... The attorney that signs with that thick marker. I think you all know what mm -hmm. I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. Wait, which thick marker? 
Like a Sharpie type? A Sharpie. And oh. sometimes I see that signature and I just get intimidated. So I start <laughs> doing it myself. You're going, you're going full John Hancock? You were going full John Hancock. Full John Hancock with a th- quarter inch Sharpie. Wow. Flat tip or, or a rubber tip? I'm actually joking. I just used my... So I think the real debate is... Glitter here. or no? <laughs> I probably take home with me every week from work five to six pens in my pocket. I don't do it intentionally. But, you know, it's just throughout the... tell Mr. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just one of those things throughout the day you're busy, you're writing all the time. But I walk, go get my car keys. Oh, I have a pen in my pocket. Grab my cell phone from the other pocket. Have a pen in my pocket. <laughs> Can't help myself. If you use pencils, I use them down to the nub if they're not mechanical. And I feel like, yeah, I feel like I, I have 10 different pens. Why? Why do I have 10 different pens? I mean, I can only use one pencil at a time. I can only use one pen at a time, but why do I have Because I feel like that's the acknowledgement that we all have that we lose them immediately. Like I touch a pen and immediately my mind says, just drop that pen. <laughs> Joe just drop it. It's gone. I used to use the the fancy was like the, the the fountain kind of type, but my handwriting is already so bad that you know if I started going quick with that, eventually it was kind of a Da Vinci Code situation. <laughs> where I'm like, I don't do I need a mirror? I, I can't. I couldn't figure it out. So I just had to go with the you know pens they give second graders. Like law is good as I scribble it out. I have to say, taste-wise, though, you can't go wrong with, you know, Ticonderoga, um, number two. Oh, you just, just kissing up to Jack. Is that, does that have the green, <laughs> that has the green metal? That's right. That's one of the best pencils. That's right. Well, it's some say the best pencil. <laughs> <laughs> and I have, I have chewed off a lot of paint on a lot of those setting for the LSAT, I remember that. <laughs> what weight of lead mm. do you prefer? Mm-hmm. Number two? I mean, can you buy anything else? You can, but it's mostly art, I think. Yeah, you need right. Bitcoin. <laughs> in, in the mechanical world, though, this is, this is interesting. So mechanical, um, I love 0.7, but it gets a little bit smudged um, compared to 0.5. But I, I, I love how you have opinions on that. <laughs> I have, I'm not kidding you. I have 600 sticks of 0.5 lead. That I've collected over the years, and what's going on? I should have like a, a like a lead burning celebration or something like that. All the pencil authorities. <laughs> <laughs> Don't give me sort of big brother with pencil. <laughs> but I'll say this: the best blow up version is definitely the pencil because Lebar Burton from Reading Rainbow. Do you remember Reading that? Rainbow, yeah. Do you remember that episode when he had the huge pencil and you can also get the piggy bank? I mean. I think pencil really shows the good that you want in a writing utensil. I, I, I don't know, I may be changing my mind here. I think I'm gonna go pencil on this one. Well, and pencil, and pencil says, hey, make a mistake, don't worry about it. Don't worry, we're gonna erase it, fine. Using the eraser on there or a separate eraser? This is another question. Do, do, you, put, do you put the extra caps on or do you, do you get the separate eraser? Are you that fancy? I have a separate eraser. <sighs> How about you just don't make mistakes? Oh. Well, is there anything else with the good of the order uh, that you guys would like to talk about today? I mean, how do you top the pencil pen debate, which has been raging for decades? Well, just a word to the wise. If your client is 
frothing at the mouth and looking very keenly at your pencil or pen that you have in your hand, you might might see your way to just just give that pencil to somebody else and, and take it a little bit further away from the client. Um, I want to thank everyone here for, for coming in today and helping out with this. Joe, Adam, Jeremy, thank you so much. This has been the Omaha Bar Association podcast. Like us on iTunes, friend us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter. I don't know if we have any of that. But <laughs> 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 just in case. And tip your waitresses. Thanks so much. And we'll talk to you next time.